the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears the Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. It is 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Thursday, the 14th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Really appreciate you being with us. Coming up this morning, two great guests. At 1010, we're going to talk to Dr. Everett Piper about a host of things relative to the ongoing culture war through which leaders like him are guiding us. And then coming up at 1110, we're going to talk to a former teammate of maybe the most famous women's swimmer in the history of the Ivy Leagues. Maybe the most famous women's swimmer in the history of swimming. And what makes him so famous is that he's not a woman swimmer. He's a male swimmer named Leah Thomas. You know the story by now. You've heard Riley Gaines, who was a competitor against him because she swam for the University of um, Kentucky, Kentucky or Florida. Oh, shoot, I cannot remember Riley Gaines now, for crying out loud. That's terrible. Uh, at any rate, she was all SEC. I knew it was SEC, and she was uh, an All-American swimmer many times over, but she has, in her post-college and swimming career, she has been um, a champion, a true champion for uh, standing up for women's rights when it comes to their sports. Anyway, 
Um, Paula Scanlon was a teammate at the University of Pennsylvania, not a competitor, but a teammate of Leah Thomas. And she has got an amazing story to tell about males uh, participating in female sports, not just because of the competitive factor, taking away their opportunities and so forth, which is huge, but also because of the discomfort factor. And no one on that team, as Paula will tell us in more detail, was allowed to complain. No one was allowed to object. They, they, they literally ran the risk of being bounced from the team, canceled publicly, and a whole bunch of other things. So uh, we're going to talk about that because that fight goes on. Kentucky, Seth says. Thank you, Seth. Kentucky. I, I knew it was Kentucky or Florida. I don't know why I paused, but it was Kentucky. She's an SEC. I'm talking about Riley Gaines now. But uh, Paula Scanlon, former UPenn swimmer uh, and teammate of uh, William Thomas, who is going by Leah Thomas now in his pretend life. Uh, so we're going to talk to um, uh, Paula Scanlon at uh, 11.10 this morning. So I'm looking forward to those conversations. We're going to start out with our pledge because yesterday I missed it uh, until the second hour, and uh, I've got a lot of very important things to talk about, some of which you're not going to want to hear. I'm going to tell you that point blank. There are some things I'm about to talk about you are not going to want to hear because you want to live in a bubble. Well, not you. Some, If you don't want to hear this, it's because you want to live in a bubble. Let's put it that way. I, I know my audience is smart enough and intelligent enough to know the reality versus the fantasy, but I'm going to give you some information that you, you are some some people are not going to want to hear, but it needs to be addressed because it's a, it's a matter of life and death. And, yes, it does absolutely have to do with COVID, COVID shots, and Operation Warp, Warp Speed. All of that is coming up here. But first, let's stand. Let's face our flag. Let's put your hand on your heart. And let's join uh, one another in this Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in the first family of crime trying to control the narrative of the impeachment inquiry against Joe Biden by telling news organizations what they can and cannot say, then you don't believe in a free press, thus the First Amendment, thus the Constitution, thus the flag, thus the Republic. You are therefore exempt from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to that flag. Instead, take a knee over there next to that still unemployed quarterback. As for the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right. I have gone to great lengths in the last few weeks to um, really shine a spotlight on the horrific, horrific impact that the COVID-19 shots, the profit shots, the poison darts that are not vaccines. They were never vaccines. And so the um, CDC had to go on their website and change the definition of vaccine, which is just that lets everything you need to know you could sum up right there. It was not a vaccine, so they changed the definition of vaccine to make one. When you change the rules to make things what they're not, clearly you are not interested in in transparency and honesty, uh, safety, and so forth. But at any rate, um, these shots have had just devastating impacts on millions of people. And we're talking about millions, plural, of people who have suffered severe adverse events from those shots. I spoke with the mRNA patent holder, the man who developed the technology that became these things that were uh, rushed out to the public through Operation Warp Speed, Dr. Robert Malone. He gave me a full hour 
of information that we needed. And the reality is nobody really on in America knows more about this than the guy who developed it. I then put on Dr. Peter McCullough, who is one of the other foremost experts in this subject in, in the world, 40 years as an epidemiologist and virologist, telling you the truth about what spike proteins are doing to every organ in the body, including the brain. All of this brought on by Operation Warp Speed. I have told you these things. It has been very, very clear. Now, here we are, September 14th, and yesterday, the FDA has said, we are good for launch. What are we launching? The latest version of the RNA vaccines, messenger RNA vaccines. These these ones... Uh, being approved by the FDA, FDA, again, under emergency authorization use, without human trials, without any sort of long-term prognosis for what the uh, impacts are going to be on people. They have done it again. And once again, Dr. Robert Malone, among others, is speaking out about the danger of this. With its decision to recommend the latest batch of COVID-19 boosters without clinical trials, attesting to efficacy and safety, the FDA has gone rogue, according to Dr. Malone. Dr. Malone said it's difficult to conclude anything other than the FDA is no longer feeling bound by their own rules and regulations. The term is, they've gone rogue. He objected to the lack of clinical trial data on humans, demonstrating effectiveness and safety. Remember, that was the catchphrase. That was their marketing slogan. That was their branding of these shots. They're safe and effective. You know who told you they were safe and effective? The FDA did. The CDC did. The National Institute of Health did. Dr. Fauci did. Dr. Burks did. President Trump did. Then President Biden did. And on down the line, safe and effective. They're safe and effective. This is a phenomenal thing. They're safe and effective. They were not safe nor effective. Dr. Malone said that essentially the FDA has authorized the new vaccines, using that word loosely, on the premise that neutralizing antibodies as detected in mice and their cross-reactivity are correlative protection which he said is a lie. There are no established correlates of protection for SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19. The FDA approved the newest Moderna and Pfizer versions of these, quote, vaccines on Monday, despite a lack of data from human clinical trials. However, in their statement announcing the approval, the FDA said that its decision was supported by its evaluation of manufacturing data from vaccine producers. In other words... The companies that stand to make billions from getting these things produced and pushed out into the public, billions are the ones that told the FDA, no, honest, they really work. They really work, and they really work, and they're really safe. Manufacturing data from the vaccine producers and non-clinical immune response data on the updated formulations of this of this drug. This is what they've done. The FDA now says whoever gives us a good enough presentation from their marketing department on how, about how safe and effective these are, you get approval. We don't need to actually see them and see the reactions of humans to them in their in their bodies. We'll just take your word for it because well, um what else are we going to do? Especially if we're getting paid off, but I'll 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 withdraw that for the moment. 
The benefit-risk profile of previously authorized mRNA vaccines is well understood, the FDA said, adding that similar manufacturing process for the updated vaccines suggests that the vaccines are a good match for protecting against currently circulating COVID-19 variants. There is, according to another expert in the field, Florida Surgeon General Dr. Joseph Ladapo, there is essentially no data, he said, suggesting that people would be better off passing on this new round of shots. Quote, there has been no clinical trial done in human beings showing that this benefits people, and there's been no clinical trial showing that it is a safe product for people, end quote. He said that studies have linked previous versions of this COVID-19 vaccine to cardiac problems such as heart inflammation, something that Dr. Malone and I went to great lengths, uh, into great uh, depth on, into great lengths to explain, and also Dr. McCullough. And they both continue to do so. But Dr. Ladapo said it's truly irresponsible for the FDA, CDC, and others to be championing something when we don't know what the implications of it will be, end quote. Asked to comment on Dr. Ladapo's remarks, Dr. Malone pointed to a growing body of studies showing negative vaccine effectiveness, which he said suggests that in the risk-benefit analysis, there is no discernible benefit, no negative, uh, and there is negative benefit, and there's clearly risk. There's negative benefit. While acknowledging that the current vaccine's waning effectiveness... CDC Director Mandy Cohen wrote an op-ed in the New York Times that ran yesterday in which she called the updated COVID-19 vaccines, quote, one of the most effective tools in combating the virus. COVID-19 vaccines are the best way to give the body the ability to keep the virus from causing significant harm. Extensive studies and real-world experience have shown that they are safe and that they work, end quote. I will stop there by calling her a liar. Because extensive studies would, in the normal protocol of developing vaccines, include human trials. Long-term human trials. So there have been no extensive studies. That's the reality. But they're pushing them out on people anyway. In its authorizing statement, the FDA said... It's confident in the safety and effectiveness, there are those two, two words again, of these updated vaccines and the agency's benefit-risk assessment demonstrates that the benefits of these vaccines for individuals six months of age and older outweigh their risks. They have no earthly goodness gracious idea what the risks will be because they didn't do human trials just like they didn't do long-term human trials for the first vaccines or shots to be brought out because President Trump wanted Operation Warp Speed. So let's move from Dr. Malone and Dr. Ladapo's very clear statements that people should not be getting these shots. You have no earthly idea what the risk is going to be, but the risk far outweighs the potential benefit. There is nothing in the studies that they have done, human or otherwise, that indicate the the benefit. But we do know about the potential dangers, the risks. So this takes us to the much-waited-for and anticipated interview that was done between Megyn Kelly and President Trump. President Trump sat down for an hour with uh, with Megyn Kelly, and she talked to him, and in fact, she grilled him about the vaccines that were pushed out 
under Operation Warp Speed. Now, you're about to hear President Trump do some of the best spinning you will ever hear him do, because he still, three years after that mess, refuses to acknowledge the damage and the injuries done by those vaccines that were forced out without being uh, tested and tried for the normal protocol length of time that a vaccine must be tested. I want you to listen to this. And like I said, you're not going to like it. And you may not like what I have to say about it because I'm going to tell you the God's honest truth. President Trump is still living in a world right now where his COVID vaccines that he created worked, were effective, and caused no harm to people. He's proud of them. While we are all, and Dr. Malone and McCullough and the frontline doctors are all condemning them, he is, this is his legacy and he's loving it. But I have people on the other side, I don't, not my side, although probably there's some on my side too. They said, you saved a hundred million people because I got it done in nine months as opposed to five years to 12 years. A lot of, that's not a good thing, sir. People You're say, proud of it. No, I'm not proud of it. I'm saying what Democrats think. Democrats. I get it. I mean, and I'm not, deni- I'm I'm not, not somebody I'm who not, denies some of the good yeah, that the vaccines yeah. did. I, I lived through that, too. But, yeah. of course, a lot of people have been vaccine injured. And that's one of the questions. Those people are mad that they were rushed through and that they can't sue. Well, I never gave mandates. And people have to make up their own, you know, make their own decision, as far as I'm concerned. Now, some places had mandates, very strong mandates, uh, largely Democrat governors and probably some Republicans, et cetera, et cetera. But... There are Democrats that say, why aren't you talking about that? It's one of the, they really believe strongly. One said, you say, and this is very smart people. They said, you saved a hundred million people worldwide. Uh, and no one says that except you. You have been saying that for months. You have been saying that for the last two years. No one else is saying that. Answer Megyn Kelly's question, Mr. President. What about the vaccine injured? Your only response was, well, I didn't make anybody take it. Well, a lot of people were made to take it. 1917, you know, they, it could have been as much as 100 million. It ended the First World War because all the soldiers were dying of, of this horrible disease of 1917. You know, it actually ended the First World War. The soldiers were dying. They were on the lines. They're fi- what the hell are you talking about? Fighting, and they're dying of this horrible disease. They said... You might have saved 100 million people, 50 million people. Why aren't you talking about it? I said, I'm not talking about it. But what I did do is I got something done for that specific thing. I also got Regeneron, and I got a lot of therapeutics done, which were great. I also got the robes and the leather and the rubber and all of the different things, the ventilators. Do you know how many people were killed by ventilators? Are you bragging about the ventilators? Are you bragging about the ventilators and the fact that the government out uh, laid out billions of dollars collectively to hospitals that had to treat patients that went on ventilators, which incentivized them to put people on ventilators, which killed them? We did a tremendous job, and it's never... You know, they appreciated what I did with the economy. I got a lot of good marks on economy. I got a lot of good marks on a lot of phenomenal marks on the economy. You were amazing. We had some of the best years that we have ever had. That's a great thing. Things rebuilding the military, getting rid of did a phenomenal job on the military and getting rid of ISIS too. ISIS, uh, the biggest tax cuts in history. Loved every single bit of that. Uh, Supreme. Court. I never got, I think, the credit that I deserved. I- he wants credit. 
for the COVID shots that are killing people and injuring more people. That's a problem. People want to know why I'm not doing backflips over the idea of another presidential term by President Trump. That's why. Would I love the economic results, the military, everything else he talked about? Damn straight. Better believe it. Let's go. And if he's our nominee, I will be let's go. But I'm not doing backflips because he's still living in a world where his big Operation Warp Speed worked. It did not. More Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always write radio with Bob France and the answer. All right, it's 936. Literally, as I was giving you that monologue, um, which, again, I don't like to have to do. This is, But we need, we need to face the reality here. We are about to have new COVID compliance protocols forced upon us, and they are going to continue to manipulate the population into getting these new shots, even for babies six months of age and up. And if we don't tell the truth about what in the living hell is going on here, and our former president who might be our next president, isn't telling the truth either. And that's a problem. In the midst of that uh, monologue, I got my latest uh, uh, email from Dr. Peter McCullough. I, I subscribe to his um, his uh, emails, and you should too, from Courageous Discourse. I subscribe to his uh, his emails, and um, the, this literally arrived when I was talking to you. Breaking, Pfizer XBB.1.5, that's the name of the thing, monovalent vaccine tested in 20 mice, no control group, and no humans. He writes, does Dr. Peter McCullough. At this point, the American public and scientific community is flabbergasted at this complete regulatory malfeasance committed by the U.S. FDA, the VRBPAC, and CDC panelists. As of September 12th, The prior bivalent has been retired, and the new XBB.1.5 monovalent vaccines have been emergency use authorized. From the Pfizer core slides released today, there was a single experiment with 10 mice assigned to the prior bivalent and 10 assigned to the new monovalent vaccine. I hope I'm saying those things correctly. I'm not a scientist. They were injected twice, 21 days apart. The new booster was authorized for a single 30 uh, MCG shot in humans. The pseudoviral antibody responses were greater for the new vaccine. And and, and again, it gets down into the weeds here. But here's the core of the argument that Dr. Peter McCullough wants you to know. There were no human studies presented in the core slides by Pfizer. It is impossible to predict what would happen with a single human injection. Their last slide was a single ongoing clinical study of the new vaccine. There are two age groups, but no randomization and no control group. There is zero chance to assess human safety or efficacy of this vaccine in the sponsored studies. This is exactly what Dr. Malone has written. And I'll continue with this. The only thing that will stop ongoing scientific misconduct and regulatory malfeasance is public outrage and booster refusal. 
The vaccine companies are hauling in record profits, have not analyzed safety, nor have they shown any interest in safer, more effective products for testing in large-scale, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trials. I just read to you science, okay? That sentence there is science. This is how it has to be done. Testing in large-scale, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trials. That's how science is done. That's how efficacy is, is, is considered. That's how safety is determined. The biopharmaceutical complex is completely off the rails, writes Dr. Malone. Coming next will be vaccines developed from computer-generated mRNA genetic code with mathematical modeling of antibody response and no mice nor human subjects at all. In other words, he's saying AI will be the, the next wave of trying to determine whether or not these shots will have uh, negative impacts on people. So where are we? Here's where we are. Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough, the frontline doctors, Dr. Bhattacharya, Dr. Atlas, and all of these other doctors have been warning, the epidemiologists and the virologists and the experts who told us that the shots that were pushed out under Operation Warp Speed were not necessarily going to be safe, nor were they going to be effective, despite the massive federal campaign that said that's exactly what they would be. Now here we are, that we're facing another rollout of another shot, another vaccine, which is not a real vaccine once again. And we need pushback. We need pushback from our top leaders, those who know the truth. Are we getting that pushback? The answer is no, we're not. President Trump, who is our leader, the leader of the Republican Party, the leader of the conservative movement, is going on interviews with Megyn Kelly and, and, and showing complete obliviousness to the reality saying that my Operation Warp Speed saved 100 million lives. Megan says a lot of people were vaccine injured and they were angry. And his response was, well, I didn't, I didn't mandate anything. He said, well, a lot of people did. They were mandated. But they were only mandating the product that he pushed out in nine months. He bragged about bringing this out in nine months when it should have taken years. And the reason it should have taken years is because we needed to study the effects on human beings before we put them, of, put them out there and got emergency use authorization for use in human beings, and thus the mandates that followed. And so this is a problem. We need President Trump to step up and say, We acted a little bit too hastily. We moved a little bit too fast, and we should not be continuing to injure and or kill people with shots, with spike proteins, the mRNA shots that are causing all of these severe adverse reactions, these adverse events in people. He won't do it. He's still bragging about it. He's still proud of it. And this is the world that he lives in. In the past nine months, my administration has initiated the single greatest mobilization in U.S. history, pioneering, developing, and manufacturing therapies and vaccines in record time. Yes, in a certain way, I'm the father of the vaccine because I was the one that pushed it. You know, to get it done in less than nine months was a miracle. No medical breakthrough of this scope and magnitude has ever been achieved this rapidly, this quickly. And we're very proud of it. So Fauci said it would take three to five years. He thought it was uh, something that just wouldn't be that effective because it would take so long to get. Would you make sure you get to the president the information that a vaccine that you make and start testing in a year is not a vaccine that's deployable? 
So he's asking the question, when is it going to be deployable? And that is going to be at the earliest a year to a year and a half. I got him done in nine months, and it was supposed to take anywhere from five to 12 years. If you had a different administration with different people, what we've done would have taken, in my opinion, three, four, five years, and it would have been in the FDA forever. We, I pushed the FDA like they have never been pushed before. I got the FDA to do things that they... It was, it was pretty amazing what we were able to do. I broke their ass, okay? And you know who doesn't like me too much? The FDA. Because they were very bureaucratic. This is a very bureaucratic organization. I pushed them like they've never been pushed before. President Trump is pressuring the head of the FDA. The president wants Pfizer's vaccine authorized today. The president is threatening the head of the FDA that he must act now or lose his job. The average development timeline for the vaccine, including clinical tests and manufacturing, can take 8 to 12 years. Through Operation Warp Speed, we're doing it in less than one year. This could go on. I've got another five minutes of these cuts. The vaccine is owned by President Trump. And that's not me saying so. That's him saying so. I have seven and a half minutes of those cuts of him saying, this is mine. I made this happen. I threatened to fire the FDA director if he didn't approve the Pfizer vaccine on the time frame I wanted. I, what did he say? Quote, busted their ass. I got it done in nine months instead of the one to two years, the three, and he changed that every time he spoke, four to five years, eight to ten years, whatever. The FDA is still doing exactly what he, quote, busted their ass to do. They are emergency use authorizing this dangerous RNA technology and then pushing it out to the people through the same fear-mongering campaign that was used the first time around to make them put these things into the arms of babies as young as six months of age and for every other age in the general population. Do you understand that? That's what is happening. The FDA is still doing what Donald Trump gave them the power and the authorization to do. So what is what, what do I want right now? Here's what I want. I want President Trump to take a step back and say, whoa, I was very proud to have gotten these things done in the nine months, but now that we have had three years of analysis of this, We know that the shots were not, quote, safe and effective. There were some positive effects for some people, which is a reality. There were. But there were a lot of very negative, adverse events for a lot of people, including death. Dr. McCullough and Dr. Malone verified so much of that when they were on with me. I need President Trump now to lead the resistance against forced vaccinations or the national campaign to encourage these new boosters. I need him to lead the resistance saying it was wrong to do it without the the long-term randomized controlled studies before. They can't do it again. This is a mistake. Don't get these shots. That's what I need President Trump to do right now. I need him to stand up and say it didn't work the way we had hoped it would work. 
And you know what would happen to him if he did that? He would win the election. You understand that? Donald Trump, by continuing to hold on to Operation Warp Speed as the greatest accomplishment, his legacy to the world, trying to convince himself that he saved 100 million lives, completely oblivious to the hundreds of millions of... Well, I shouldn't go there. I don't want to go there. Worldwide, hundreds of millions, but in the United States, millions of adverse events, hundreds of thousands of cardiac events, um, thousands and thousands of clots and strokes and all kinds of other terrible adverse events, including sudden deaths, as Dr. Malone, I mean, uh, Dr. McCullough told me, within one, two, three, and four days of taking the shots of people who had no previous health conditions. That's the reality of what these shots have done. And I want President Trump to acknowledge we can't continue to do this. If he says, look, Operation Warp Speed was something I felt like we needed to do at the time, but now that we have three years to look back on it, it was a mistake to do it that fast. We have to do it right this time. That moment of humility, honesty, self-awareness would win him the election. And you can say, well, he's already going to win the election. No, he's not. He's going to win the primaries. He's going to be the nominee. It's almost a guarantee. And that's fine. But if you want him to win the general election, he's going to have to win over a hell of a lot of people. And one of the ways that he can win those people who are not on his side right now is to acknowledge a mistake. The shots were and are a mistake. And if you disagree with me, then I want you to send me a photo of yourself getting this booster when it's ready in two weeks. I want you to send me a photo of you taking the jab saying, I believe in President Trump and that his shots were fine. If you don't take them, and I know most of the people who listen to this show have told me when I go to public gatherings and speeches and events that they absolutely are unvaccinated because they didn't trust it either. What are you prepared to do now? I hope the answer is, of course, I will not be taking the shots again. But more than that, will you argue and will you do what Dr. McCullough suggested in that, in that uh, message? The only thing that will stop ongoing scientific misconduct and regulatory malfeasance is public outrage and booster refusal. Who can help lead booster refusal? The answer is President Trump. President Trump can say, don't take the booster shot of these mRNA products that were just pushed out with only trials in 20 mice. No trials in human beings. No randomized controlled study. Don't do it. A lot of other people did it already and got hurt by it. If, if not, got, it, got killed by it. Don't do it. Is President Trump ready to do that? No, he's not. As he told Megyn Kelly, he's proud. Well, actually, it's weird. In the midst of bragging about getting it done in nine months, he said, oh, I'm not proud of it. But then he continued to brag as if he were proud of it. But Megyn Kelly pressed him a little bit and pressed him and said, 
Let's talk about Dr. Fauci. Fire Anthony Fauci uh, was because he'd been there for a long time, that you would have taken heat, that it would have created a firestorm, quoting your words. Then for the first time in May... I also said I didn't listen to him too much. I'm getting there. But then in in May, you started saying, well, he's a civil servant, so I couldn't technically. The truth is, though, not only did you not fire Fauci, who is loathed by many, many millions of Republicans in particular, but also some Democrats. By the way... You made him a star. You made him a star. This is the criticism of you, that you made him the face of the White House coronavirus task force. You think so? That he was out at every presser. That he. (laughs) The disingenuousness of this. Oh, you think so? You think he was the face of the coronavirus response? What do you mean? You put him in front of the podium or behind the podium every day. Every day. Yes, you made him the, the star. And you made him the face of the coronavirus. Do you think so? Really? He was running herd for the administration on COVID. And that you actually gave him a presidential commendation before you left office. Wouldn't you like a do-over on that? Uh, I don't know who gave him the commendation. I really don't know who gave him the commendation. President- it, it, it was, it was a, it was a presidential commendation. The answer to who gave him the commendation is in the name. It's a presidential commendation. You, the president, gave him a commendation. Gave him the commendation. I really don't know who gave him the commendation. Presidential commendation. One went out to Mark. Somebody- it's still on the website. TrumpWhiteHouse.archives.gov, the official Trump presidency website. It's still there. January 19th, 2021, the day before the transition of power. President Trump awards presidential commendations to Operation Warp Speed team. High on that list, General Mark Milley, Secretary Alex Azar, Dr. Deborah Burks, Dr. Anthony Fauci, among others. You gave him an award and said, great job, Tony. So, bringing this back to current, what do we need now? As the government is has just greenlit more poison pens, more poison darts to be pushed onto the public and onto six-month-old babies to a, to a willing population of sheep that will do whatever the government says. And why? Well, because the government knows the rules and the ways and the methods of successful propaganda. They took it straight from Goebbels, for crying out loud. You do know that the propaganda minister of the Third Reich, Joseph Goebbels, kind of laid it out. Step one, make the people afraid. Step two, give them a common enemy. Step three, watch them fall in line. If you bring terror to the people, there's a deadly pathogen that's coming back. First it came around once, and now it's back. A deadly pathogen, COVID, is here again. Give them a common enemy, the virus 
and those who refuse the vaccinations and the masking to protect against the virus. And then watch the people fall in line. Watch them flock to the pharmacies, flock to the doctor's office, sleeves already rolled up, begging, please, where's mine? I want my shot! That's what the government has been able to do. So what I want to know is at what point will our standard bearer of the Republican Party, the clear, soon-to-be nominee for President of the United States, when will he do what needs to be done here? And tell everybody, don't take those freaking shots. The risk is too great and the benefits are unknown. Don't do it. That's what I need to hear from Donald J. Trump. I don't think we're going to hear it. He is too vested in his own legacy and in his own ego from that first go-around to want that to happen. It's 9.55. I told you you weren't going to like some of this. But you better face the reality of it. You better face the reality of it. This is what is being done to us. We have one chance. Dr. McCullough laid it out. out public outrage and refusal. We need leaders to drive that refusal. We're going to come back with Dr. Everett Piper. That'll be next on Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, friends, thank you. We move into hour number two at eight minutes past 10 o'clock on this Thursday, the 14th morning of the ninth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. And that means it's time to engage our friend from the great state of Oklahoma, the Sooner State. That's where we find Dr. Everett Piper. He is a former university president. He is a uh, best-selling author. He is a columnist twice weekly for the Washington Times. He also does a radio podcast called The Rebellion, which you should check out. And he is uh, a county commissioner in Osage County, Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, good morning. Hey, Bob. Good to be on. Good to talk to you, as always. So we're going to go a little out of order today. Usually I like to talk about your um, your weekly column for the Examiner, and, or excuse me, for the um, uh, Washington Times, and then we try to move into the Ask Dr. E. But I want to start with Ask Dr. E, because this is, this is so very important right now. Um, and I'm covering numerous stories of DEI issues in schools and parents' rights to push back on some of these things. So let's dive right into this. The question you addressed in the Washington Times Ask Dr. E this week is, we chose a Christian college for our son because we wanted to avoid all of the woke indoctrination we were seeing at many state universities across the country. It's a smart move. My husband and I thought the extra cost was worth it, and we sacrificed quite a bit to make this happen. But this past weekend, when our son came home for an early fall break, he was already talking positively about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Can you give us some pointers on how to respond? Sincerely, a concerned parent from Kentucky. And sadly, I know this parent is not the only one. Let's talk to all of them, Dr. Piper. How do you respond? Well, first of all, I'm not surprised at all to hear that this is coming out of a Christian college and not just our state universities. My personal experience is that many, many Christian colleges have bought into the diversity, equity, and inclusion, the DEI uh, paradigm, the worldview. 
Um, you can even find um, chief ad- or um, executive level uh, administration at these universities, the, you know, the chief executive or the vice president for DEI or for equity and inclusion, et cetera. So parents, do your shopping, and if you see any evidence of that in these schools, then I would advise you not to spend your money there. You need to go someplace else. That said, what's wrong with DEI? Is it Christian? Is it compatible with Christianity, a biblical worldview? And I would argue, not surprisingly, no, it's not. Well, why? Well, first of all, diversity, the first of the three letters. Frankly, diversity within this agenda, this worldview, is divisive. It's almost as if we celebrate a divided States of America rather than a united States of America. Diversity is synonymous with division. It pits you against me. It pits the 99 against the one, blacks against whites, straights against gays. It pits people against each other, and therefore there's a divisive spirit rather than one of unity, of coming together. And that's not healthy. That's not Christian. It's not American, quite frankly. It's the antithesis of the melting pot. The second thing, diversity, equity, and inclusion is predicated on blame rather than on responsibility. It's your fault. It's not mine. It always encourages people to look out the window and find somebody to point fingers at rather than looking in the mirror and accepting responsibility for yourself. DEI is also grounded in racism, pure and simple. We can't avoid that. It, it, It tells our students, it teaches our kids to judge people by the color of their skin rather than the content of their character. It's the antithesis of MLK's dream. And as I said in my article, it's a Marxist nightmare. It's not Martin Luther King's dream. Next, DEI disparages equality. Equity is is a word used on purpose. They don't talk about equality because they see equality as nothing but the outcome of white privilege. Equity is the opposite of equality. They want to tilt the playing field, if you will, so that somebody is running uphill the entire game, so that there will be an equitable outcome rather than equal opportunity. Uh, It discourages competition. Excellence is sacrificed for the average. It's the ultimate in a participation trophy. That's why I call it juvenile and immature. It's childish because I deserve my blue ribbon, even though I may not be the fastest guy on the track. Equity is not going to lend itself to excellence. And then finally, one of my key beefs with DEI, especially within the Christian conversation, Bob, is that it actually encourages us to break one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet is turned on its ear, and thou shalt covet. If you've got something that I want, then you should give it to me. That's coveting. It is one of the uh, seven deadly sins. It is one of the uh, Ten Commandments, and it breaks it. All right. Then finally, I conclude, and I say this. Diversity divides, equity blames, and inclusion denies. Inclusion denies reality. It denies science. It denies sanity. Uh, feeling Trump facts, if I feel like I'm a woman, I am one. If I feel like I'm black, I'm black. If I feel like you're a bigot, you're a bigot. If I feel like the earth is dying, then it is. If I feel like masks work, then they do. You triggered me. You offended me. You made me feel uncomfortable. This is all what this is all what DEI leads to, and this attitude of division, blaming, and inclusion, inclusion that actually has the audacity they, to say, I'm going to exclude you under the banner of inclusion, is where DEI leads. It's nothing but Big Brother telling us how to live our lives. If I were an audience, I would give you a standing ovation. That is a phenomenal response, and it is broken down in a lot of different ways. And it looks almost 
um, unbeatable, meaning how do we try to deconstruct DEI? How do we try to convince people of everything that you just said and thus take it out of um, uh, you know the colleges, whether they be public or Christian or anything else, and the schools? Because and, and maybe the answer to that is that you have to go back to the origin of it. I don't know what it is. Do you know when did DEI as a uh, as you know as an acronym or as a you know and as a as a model? Uh, when did it come into vogue? Uh, diversity, uh, and equity, and inclusion that to, to the point where it is literally now not just in schools and universities, but in corporate America. It is running companies. It's running our military. For goodness sakes. It's, it's part and parcel with critical theory. So it's got a neo-Marxist origin. It comes out of the Frankfurt School. It's all part hand-in-glove with the same agenda, and that is to divide. Okay, So we don't have an economic conflict, bourgeoisie versus proletariat per se, any longer within the Marxist agenda. However, they haven't abandoned that, but they realized it wasn't working because capitalist countries were providing better for their citizens than were communist countries, socialist countries. So what did they do? They, they kept the same Marxist agenda. They just moved the target. So there's still a conflict rather than bourgeoisie proletariat. It's you against me, blacks against whites. It's gays against straights. Like I said, it's the 99 versus the 1. Any conflict will do so that you can divide and conquer. And that's what DEI is grounded in. It is not Christian. And I think the way we confront this, Bob, especially within the Christian community, is ask people good questions. Do you believe in Martin Luther King's uh, dream. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, most people will say, yeah, MLK was great. We really believe in what he said. Well, then how in the world can you start teaching your kids to judge people by the color of their skin rather than honor the content of their character? Then be quiet and let them answer the question. They can't. And then on the issue of the Ten Commandments, when did it become a good thing to teach your kids to covet somebody else's stuff? That's antithetical to the Bible. So if you're going to claim to be a Christian, you probably shouldn't be teaching that one of those sins prohibited by the Ten Commandments is now somehow virtuous. Be quiet after asking the question and see what they say. Yeah, that's a that's a great response too. And and uh, and I know that it is Marxist in its origin. And and let me pivot there. Um, to tell people there are some great vi- I just watched one of them yesterday. I don't know why. I was bumping around Prager University's five minute videos and I, and I, and I started watching one on Marxism and on the history of Karl, Mar- Karl Marx. I have watched also many videos on Prager University on DEI or DIE as I like to call it. And that's going to lead us into your column this week, your regular column for the Washington Times and some high praise for an educational leader in Oklahoma. Tell me why. Well, Ryan Walters is our superintendent for public instruction here in Oklahoma. That's the highest educational position in Oklahoma. It's elected. So he's the guy. And I endorsed him because he's the right guy. He stands against diversity, equity, and inclusion, and he doesn't apologize for doing so. He has stood against critical race theory. He has particularly taken on this drag queen nonsense that's going on in Oklahoma and across the nation. There's actually one school down by Oklahoma City that hired a drag queen performer as their principal for an elementary school recently. Ryan Walters has come out and spoken against this. Now, the other thing that he's done that has the left infuriated is he announced last week that Oklahoma is partnering with PragerU and making all of those instructional videos available to the local public schools for their use. If the teacher chooses to avail himself of that material, of that curriculum, you can now incorporate it into your lesson plan in Oklahoma with the full blessing of the superintendent of public instruction. What does it cost? Zero. I want to emphasize that. Zero. 
Prager University provides that for nothing for you to use in your classroom. Ryan Walters gets nothing. Prager U gets nothing. The teacher gets good curriculum that focuses on what? Well, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Federalist Papers, personal responsibility, the value of competition, the uh, success of capitalism versus communism, lesson plans that actually teach your kids how to be people of character rather than people that are in constant conflict and blame. These are the nature of Prager University lessons. Well, the left has let's, come let's, let's not forget. Let's not forget civics either, which, of course, is absent from most public school curriculum uh, all over the country, not just in Oklahoma, I'm sure, but everywhere. And you can find plenty on civics on PragerU as well. But anyway, continue. Fair enough. I mean, I could go on and on, as could you. I mean, the, the civics, yeah. Do we even understand our government? Last week I talked to you about, um, oh, shoot, uh, the movie star, Dry, uh, Drive Dreyfus, yes, Richard yes. Dreyfus, and his his uh, uh, book that says we don't teach civics any longer. How, therefore, how are we going to have a civil conversation in the public square if our kids don't understand the basic concepts of what it means to be an American? So Prager is teaching this stuff. Ryan Walters is saying that's good, not bad. Why don't you teachers avail yourself of this curriculum for nothing? And the Oklahoma Education Association, which is underneath the National Education Association, has come unglued, and they're calling for the impeachment of Ryan Walters. Literally, he's having to defend himself against impeachment charges because he dares to suggest we should be teaching our kids that America is good, not bad, and that you should take personal responsibility for your life rather than blaming everyone else for your problems. This is crazy talk. It is all of the above. And, uh, Dr. Piper, that's, I'm so glad to hear that. Good for Ryan Walters. Good for the students of Oklahoma. Good for the parents in this, in the state of Oklahoma as well. That is, uh, that is a positive development indeed. Uh, and one that is much needed in a lot of other places. We'll take a time out now at 1020. We've got another story or two to ca- cover and talk about with Dr. Everett Piper. Stay here on Always Right Radio. Okay, 1025 now. <clears throat> Got five minutes left with Dr. Everett Piper as we continue to uh, discuss the culture wars. Dr. Piper, uh, another story in the Washington Times not written by you, this one uh, about colleges and universities and how, um, well, the transgender agenda, the transgender lobby, and I think it's time we start identifying that group separately from the LGBTQ quote-unquote community, because I think that uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is correct. They are very, very different. These are different communities. The transgender community is up to something much more evil, in my view, than even anything else that is going on. But the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, which tracks censorship efforts on both sides of the ideological divide, published a free speech ranking of colleges and universities, and come to find out that um, aggressive protests of campus speakers criticizing trans or men, particularly in women's sports, are the leading uh, censorship item shutting down free speech at the, at the uh, nation's colleges and universities. And you say what to this revelation? Uh, data points in this article. And FIRE is a good organization, by the way. They represented me in a, in a pro bono uh, lawsuit against the Obama administration. So I'm directly... Uh, I guess that's full disclosure. I like them, even though their president is an atheist, by the way. So they have no pro-Christian agenda. What they have is an agenda for freedom, freedom of speech. Um, All right, data points in this article. Uh, A couple just jump out to me. Uh, 45% of students in this survey 
deemed it acceptable to some extent to block other students from attending a campus talk. Okay, so you're approaching half of America's college students think it's okay to block, physically block, another student from attending a talk on a topic that the 45% don't like. That is stunning. The academy is supposed to be a liberal arts academy where we have a liberal and open exchange of ideas that result in liberty, freedom of expression, and freedom of thought that is the cornerstone of our constitutional republic. And you're teaching half of your students to stand in the way and block you or me or someone else that comes to our campus and wants to say something that might actually challenge us. This is stunning. Now, here's another number. 27% of the students in this survey, 27%, let's just round up and say three out of 10 students find it acceptable on some occasion to use violence to stop speech. 27%, three out of 10 of college students today think violence for the cause of silence is okay. So if Bob Franz or Everett Piper is invited by the Young Americans Foundation, YAF, to speak at College X, Y, or Z, three out of ten students think it's appropriate to physically, violently stop the speaker or stop other students from supporting that speaker. Does this smack of the Cultural Revolution and Miles Red Guard? You bet your bottom dollar it does, and that is not hyperbole. When you get that many young people that think it's okay to violently suppress somebody else's freedom of speech and freedom of thought, then our country is in dire jeopardy. We need to stop sending our kids off to these indoctrination camps called universities because this is the garbage that they're coming home with. They are exactly that, indoctrination camps. And, and you know, of course, as always, I look for what's the what's the um, uh, the remedy here. Uh, where's the pushback come from? I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, great, the study was done. We know that, you know, three out of every ten college students think violence is acceptable to, to silence speech that they disagree with. Who is now saying, now that we have the study, here's how we are going to remedy, remedy that? I mean, there has to be somebody in charge, and there has to be somebody who is able to either through disciplinary means or through reasoning and common sense discussions and, and explanations um, change that and say, no, there is never justification for physical violence in order to stop speech with which you disagree. That is never okay. Well, uh, let's go back to the story of Ryan Walters, uh, right. superintendent for public construction. We need to support guys that actually have the spine, the courage, and the tenacity to step into this mess and say, this is ridiculous, this must stop. Our tax dollars will not support such vile uh, behavior. We just won't do it. And if uh, you need to speak to your board of regents, you need to call your governor. The governors, by and large, across the nation appoint the board of regents for the university system. Let them know that your tax dollars are supporting nonsense and you want it to stop. Very, uh, very insightful stuff and a very important report. You can read all of these in the Washington Times. You can also see them on Dr. Uh, Everett Piper's Twitter feed. He's got his own stories, of course, linked there, as well as stories like this one. Follow Dr. Piper at Dr. Everett Piper, spelled exactly how you think those words would be all together. Dr. Everett Piper on Twitter. Dr. Piper, thank you for the time. As always, we'll talk to you soon. All right, blessings. Bye-bye. Blessings to you as well. 1030, we'll get news. We'll come back, and we've got an open segment now. We've got another guest coming up at 1110. But we've got an open segment or two here for you at 216-901-0945, We'll be right back. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. 
Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 1035, thanks to uh, Dr. Piper. <clears throat> Good stuff there. I spent the entire first hour on COVID vaccines because yesterday we got the, or I'm sorry, on Tuesday and yesterday we got word that the FDA is indeed pushing out uh, via um, uh, uh, what emergency use, I almost said excessive, although it's excessive too, emergency use authorization, the new boosters for the new subvariant and, and all of the rest. It is being responded to by the top virologists and um, epidemiologists in America as being completely, completely unnecessary and in fact dangerous. Why? Because there's no data on whether or not they will be successful, whether or not, whether or not they will be effective, and uh, or what the risks are going to be. How do we know this? Because, quote, There's been no clinical trial done in human beings showing that it benefits people, and there's been no clinical trial done showing that it is safe for people. So on the risk-benefit, and this comes from uh, Dr. Joseph Ladapo, among others. He's the Surgeon General in Florida. He would be the Surgeon General, by the way, of the United States if Ron DeSantis became the president. DeSantis already made that announcement. Uh, It's truly irresponsible, he said, for FDA, CDC, and others to be championing something when we do not know the implications of it. You can not, and Dr. Robert Malone agrees, you cannot push these products on a terrified public uh, by you ginning up fear about this, oh my gosh, COVID is coming back, and then making them want to take these things with a mandate or no mandate, wanting them to take these things when there is no discernible benefit or, in fact, there is a negative benefit. Uh, and there's also risk. So we're talking about what whether or not people are going to be willing to push back, whether or not people are be going to be willing to uh, do what needs to be done. Dr. Peter McCullough, who I had on last week, said that there needs to be public outrage and booster refusal because the vaccine companies are making billions. Pfizer and Moderna and their German partner, BioNTech, they're making billions off of pushing these things on people again, and that's what they want to do again, despite the fact that they have not been analyzed for safety and or effectiveness. Which brings me to, again, I'll play for you what you may have missed. This exchange with um, President Trump, former President Trump and Megyn Kelly, who hosted him on her program, and talked about vaccines and talked about why it is that President Trump uh, is still so pro-vaccine and still so supportive of Operation Warp Speed. And also why he, on his way out the door um, in 2021, in uh, January 19th of 2021, saw fit to give a presidential um, award, a presidential commemoration or award or whatever they're calling it, to Dr. Anthony Fauci. Uh, listen to the exchange. Other side, I don't, not my side, although probably there's some on my side too. They said, you saved a hundred million people because I got it done in nine months as opposed to five years to 12 years. A lot of people. You're proud of it. No, I'm not proud of it. I'm saying what Democrats think. Democrats. I get it. And I'm not, I'm I'm not not, somebody who denies some of the good that the vaccines did. I I lived through that too. But of course, a lot of people have been vaccine injured. And that's one of the questions. Those people are mad that they were rushed through and that they can't sue. See, that's what I want an answer to right now. Mr. President, a lot of people were vaccine injured. Many people were vaccine killed. That all happened as a result of taking a drug that did not go through the proper testing protocols. That's what I want him to answer right now. But that's not the answer we get. Well, I never gave mandates, and people have to make up their own, you know, make their own decision as far as I'm concerned. Now, some places had mandates, very strong mandates. 
uh, largely Democrat governors and probably some Republicans, etc., etc. But there are Democrats that say, why aren't you talking about that? It's one of the, they really believe strongly. One said, you say, and this is very smart people, they said, you saved a hundred million people worldwide. Uh, in 1917, you know, they, it could have been as much as a hundred million. It ended the First World War because all the soldiers were dying of, of this horrible disease of 1917. You know, it actually ended the First World War. The soldiers were dying. They were on the lines. They're fighting and they're dying of this horrible disease. They said, you might have saved a hundred million people, 50 million people. Why aren't you talking about it? I said, I'm not talking about it. But what I did do is I got something done for that specific thing. I also got Regeneron and I got a lot of therapeutics done, which were great. I also got the robes and the leather and the rubber and all of the different things, the ventilators. Mm -hmm. We did a tremendous job. And it's never, you know, they appreciated what I did with the economy. I got a lot of good. He wants appreciation for Operation Warp Speed. And the poison darts that have been killing and injuring people for three years. And he will not acknowledge that this was a mistake. And it is a problem. It is a big problem. Fire Anthony Fauci uh, was because he'd been there for a long time, that you would have taken heat, that it would have created a firestorm, quoting your words. Then for the first time in May... I also said I didn't listen to him too much. I'm getting there. But then in in May, you started saying, well, he's a civil servant, so I couldn't technically... The truth is, though, not only did you not fire Fauci, who is loathed by many, many millions yeah. of Republicans in particular, but also some Democrats. By the way, you yeah. made him a star. You made him a star. This is the criticism of you, that you made him the face of the White House coronavirus. Task you think so? Force, that he was out at every presser, that he was running herd for the administration on COVID, and that you actually gave him a presidential commendation before you left office. Wouldn't you like a do-over on that? Uh, I don't know who gave him the commendation. I really don't know who gave him the accommodation. Presidential accommodation. One went out to Mark Somebody Milley probably. And yes, one was given to Mark Milley, too. She stuck that in at the end there. Uh, he doesn't know who gave him the accommodation. He gave him the accommodation. That's why it's called a presidential accommodation. Now, or commendation, excuse me. Um, what's the point here? Looking back at the past. The point here, which I made in hour number one, if you missed it. And I welcome your thoughts on it as that it's time to make things right in the present. It's time for President Trump to lead the way he has led in so many other ways, in wonderful ways. It's time for President Trump to lead this pushback against these shots. More sudden deaths will happen. More adverse events will happen. More vaccine injuries will happen. It is a virtual certainty because it is the same technology pushing the same types of uh, of uh, spike proteins into the bodies of all of these people age six months and up now is what they're saying should take this shot. Babies should be given this shot to the point where these spike proteins are impacting virtually every organ in the body and including... Uh, reproductive organs, it is time for, and this is what the leading doctors in the world are saying about this, not the ones who are on the payroll of the freaking uh, pharmaceutical companies, which is what I firmly believe is the case with the CDC and the NIH uh, and the FDA, because they're not even trying to do clinical studies. So we need somebody to push back and tell the truth about all of that and say this is not how it's supposed to be done. I want Donald Trump to be that man. If Donald Trump stands up and says, do not 
Do not take without very serious consideration and consultation with your own medical professional. Do not just take the advice of the FDA and take these shots. Do not just take the advice of Joe Biden and take these shots. Do not take the advice in the direction of the CDC and take these shots because they don't have any data. They have no clinical data on how these will affect people. The only thing that we have to go on thus far is the shots that preceded this one, which is the ones that President Trump produced via Operation Warp Speed. And we now know three years on what some of those damages are. As a result of mistakes made in the past, here is how we correct them and move on toward the future. That's what I want out of President Trump. He is almost certain to be our nominee. And I need that message coming from him if he wants to win a general election. If he's going to continue to debate every interviewer like Megyn Kelly and say, no, I did the right thing. You know, I mean, uh, people say I saved uh, 50, 100 million lives. No, they don't. You say that. Um, and, and you're not acknowledging the number of people who died and the number of people who suffered serious adverse events from this. I have a problem with that. I want our standard bearer, our Republican Party nominee, our conservative America First champion to say, we're not doing the same mistakes that were made before. We are not going to tell people, scare people, even, you know, say, well, it's not a mandate. It doesn't have to be. You have a willing public listening to the supposed experts telling everybody that it's safe and effective, scaring the bejesus out of them, telling them that, uh, you know, COVID is coming back and it's going to kill grandma and the whole nine yards. It's going to have everybody racing to the pharmacies and to the medical centers with their sleeves rolled up, ready to get this thing done again. I need somebody to lead and push back on this, this misinformation, this medical misdiagnosis, this profit grab which is all that it is by the pharmaceutical manufacturers, Pfizer, Moderna, Bio, BioNTech, uh, and, of course, their, their, their associates that are sitting on the boards of CDC and FDA and all of the rest. So I want your thoughts. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Will you do what Dr. McCullough said and push back and refuse these shots and tell them we will not be uh, treated like this any longer? Chuck is in Cleveland. Chuck, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hi, Bob. Uh, thank you for taking the call. My point is, how many of them 20 mice died? How many of the 20 mice died? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. And my next thing is, they're using the American people as guinea pigs. Well, you're right. They are. That's exactly what they're doing. And they were, they've been doing this since, they've been doing this since the first shots were rolled out in the late fall of 2020 after Operation Warp Speed because they, you know, it's, it's what everybody says, including President Trump. This is supposed to take, uh, you know, three to five to to eight years and sometimes longer of human trials to see what the long-term, uh, side effects are, the long-term, uh, uh, ramifications in humans, uh, you know, before they get spread to the general population. And they did it in nine, nine months and then said, let's see what happens. But you know what they did along the way, Chuck? They gave immunity to the manufacturers. They give immunity. Yeah, they so can't they, be sued. Exactly. So that once they send these things out into the general population after scaring everybody into wanting to take them, if not mandating them at some level, 
what they did is they said, let's let's see what happens. This will be our clinical trial. Instead of a control group yeah. of fifty people uh, or 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 uh, you know a, a randomized trial, we're going to do it on millions and then just see what happens. Well, now we know what happens. It's not safe for everybody. It's very very dangerous, yeah. in fact. And now they're ready to roll them out again. And I need somebody to push back against that. Okay, I got one more point, Bob. Okay, our own vice president, which I heard on your show said we have to reduce the population. She did. What a better way to do it. Yeah. yeah Chuck, you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I mean, she literally did say that, talking about Kamala Harris. And thanks for the call, my friend. She literally did say uh, that uh, popula- population reduction is one of the goals. Uh, you know, they tried to walk that back later, but she said it, and she said it unambiguously. And, uh, and uh, look... I'm gonna come. I'm gonna conflate two things here, and you can tell me I'm I'm full of it if if you think I am, and that's fine. But I'm gonna do it. There are radical nuts, the likes of which are pushing these poison darts on people right now, that are also radical climate nuts, and they believe that the planet would be better off and would would thrive for a longer term in the future if there weren't so many human beings polluting it. They literally believe that human beings are a cause of the destruction of the planet and that human beings should be, well, um, if not eliminated, minimized, make their impact on the, the, the planet and nature you know, as, as minimal as possible. If you don't think that those two things are conflated, tell me so, but I think they are absolutely conflated. The nuts who believe that human beings are bad for the planet are the ones who are pushing for things that kill human beings. Is it that crazy? That's just, that's, I've thought about that for a very long time. These green energy movement, which is all, you know, there's a, there's a number of ways in which all of this is being, you know, being carried out, by the way. The gangrene energy movement is, is, is also geared toward wiping people out. With every leasing, uh, uh, fracking lease that Biden uh, revokes, with every my, uh, mining operation that he shuts down, every oil pipeline that he shuts down, everything we have and need to survive gets more expensive. And when things get more expensive and we cannot pay for them, what happened? People who are not criminally minded go without, and it hastens their deaths. People who are criminally minded commit violent acts to steal the things that they need and want, and that they can no longer afford, which also leads to more deaths. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm playing, you know, connect the dots here, and I hope you can understand that. But those who are pushing for the new EPA regulations... They are looking to starve out people. Do you know what I'm talking about? The, e- the Biden administration has released their new EPA guidelines, their regulations. Emission standards, which went into effect March 27th, but which will be implemented for new trucks. That means the 18-wheelers that deliver everything we have, including our food, New trucks sold after 2027. The new standards are significantly more stringent, 
will cover a wider variety of heavy-duty engine operating conditions compared to today's standards. And truckers are looking at the new regulations and saying it will kill trucking in America. And when trucking is killed in America, that means getting food from the fields to the processing centers, to the grocery stores, to your refrigerator and your pantry, well, they're destroyed as well. The vice president of JKC Trucking talked to, um, who did this, Fox News, and laid it out. A new clean diesel long-haul tractor typically costs in the range of 180000 to $200,000. A comparable battery electric tractor of the same size will cost upwards of $480,000. That's about a $300,000 upcharge. That means independent truckers will be gone. Small trucking companies that cannot afford those costs up front will be gone. The overwhelming majority of motor carriers would be gone. You won't have access to everything that we need to live upon. And this is the goal of the radical left. The mandate is based on new technology. They're supporting green energy. They don't give a rip what it does to the industry. As a matter of fact, they're happy if it does this something, to, something like this to the injury because they believe that the trucks that are driving on the roads right now are causing the higher carbon output and emissions, and it's leading to uh, you know, uh, uh, the warming of the planet and all of the other uh, environmental catastrophes that they keep screaming about, that they're gluing themselves to roads over, for crying out loud. All of this stuff is interconnected. It's related. High gas prices causing more inflation and the cost of getting all of those things to you mean you get means you get fewer of them and when you get fewer of them like i said desperation takes over they're just lying every single step of the way and i want people to know it between the jabs between the energy policies between shutting down the supply chains they are trying to fundamentally destroy capitalism in america and put you on full state control do not make the mistake of thinking it's anything less than that. Um, Diane in West Park. Diane, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Ten minutes of every segment that you do on a weekly basis would um, so educate our sleeping Democrats and other electorate in America. It's unbelievable. Uh, Bob, the, the scope of what you just covered in the past 10, 15 minutes is well, you, again, you just lay everything out, and it's just all true. It is. Um, it is, and more people need to hear it. And I thank you for the kind words, but I don't. I don't do this for praise. I do this because I'm terrified for where we're headed, and more people need to hear these facts. That's why I'm begging President Trump to be the leader on the on the on the shot side. You know, I mean, I, I, I look. He's going to be our candidate, and I want him to win, and I want him to do the right thing, and 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 that means stepping up here and trying to do what Dr. McCullough said, and that is have massive public refusal of taking these shots any longer. We cannot continue to do this to ourselves because there is a very nefarious goal. There's profit and power, uh, you know, that is behind all of this. Profit for the pharmaceutical companies and power and control of the governments that are pushing these things onto people through fear-mongering campaigns. I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead, Diane. Oh, no problem. Um, well, I think that this is a golden moment for Ron DeSantis and Team DeSantis to come out with 
because I'm sorry, I'm a Libra. I always I play devil's advocate even in my own uh, brain. But really, the primary is although months away, it's a long time away because a lot can happen with these new mandates, new shots, whatever that's coming out. And I have to tell you, frankly, I am a big Trump supporter, but really just hearing him talk over and over again, I'm like, you know, I'm not so sure anymore. You know, talk about vested interests. I'm just wondering what other vested interests does Donald Trump have in these vaccines? I mean, is it a big share in Pfizer? I don't know. Yeah. It, 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 those are those are. They, they, I have a lot of questions too, and and I and I am all. And thank you for the call. I am also a big Trump supporter, um, but as I said in the first hour, I'm not doing backflips over the idea that he's going to be our nominee because I can't get past this. Not just because of what he did with Operation Warp Speed in the past, but that it's present now. Then we didn't know what we didn't know. And he could be excused. I celebrated it. I championed him. Wow, what an accomplishment. He got something done in nine months. It should have taken years. I was on the air cheering it. I'll play back the old tapes. But we didn't know then what we know now. And what we know now has led to reasonable, commonsensible people to saying to say that was a huge mistake, to push those out so fast without the long-term trials necessary. Look at the damage it has done. And don't repeat it with these new boosters. That's what a reasonable, common, sensible person would say. President Trump, our guy, is not doing that. He is saying he's proud of what he did. He thinks he saved 100 million lives. In his world, COVID vaccines worked, and it ended the pandemic, and it caused no harm to anyone. Give me my legacy. Give me my praise. And that is a problem. All right, it's 10.57. We'll take a time out. We'll come back. We've got, uh, we've got a lot to do. I've got people on hold. I've also got another conversation to have with a former teammate of the most famous swimmer, maybe in American collegiate history. I won't say in American history because there is still somebody named Michael Phelps, and there's somebody named Matt Biondi, and there's somebody named Rachel Ledecky, some of the Olympic heroes. But it may be in collegiate history, but not for the right reasons, for the wrong reasons. And I'll tell you that story and have that conversation This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. 
Onward, we roll into our number three. It's eight minutes past 11 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Thursday. It's the 14th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. We'll come back to the conversations on forced shots and promoted shots and what we're going to do in response to that in a few. But I want to pivot now and go back to an extraordinarily important issue. Um, And that is um, women. Women have continually been attacked, and they uh, they continue to suffer from those who simply believe they don't deserve to exist, at least not in the way that they always have. They're not allowed to have their own spaces. They're not allowed to have their own identities. As a matter of fact, woman-facing is every bit as de-identifying, if you will, uh, or um, that's probably a clumsy word, but we'll run with it, as blackface for African-Americans. Men are allowed to dress up as women and be told you're a woman, despite everything that makes a woman a woman. Well, one of the things that we have been watching, of course, very closely is this ongoing attempt for these males to take over women's sports. Leah Thomas, uh, otherwise William Thomas, is perhaps the most famous collegiate swimmer in history. And I say that for all of the wrong reasons, because there have been a lot of phenomenally successful collegiate swimmers who went on to have phenomenal Olympic careers and beyond. But uh, Leah Thomas is famous because he swam with women, even though he is a male. And you know the story by now. He uh, he won you know medals. He won races. He he knocked uh, uh, other competitive swimmers who are actual females off of medal stands, uh, cost them opportunities, and more than that. In addition to taking away their competitive opportunities, he made them um, well. Let's just say less than comfortable. How? Let's welcome our next guest to the program to tell us how. She was a teammate. She was in the locker rooms. She was in the practices. She was everywhere as a part of the University of Pennsylvania women's swimming team that Leah Thomas was. And her name is Paula Scanlon. She's a a former teammate now who is an activist for women in sports and trying to protect the things that make them unique and special. Paula Scanlon, thank you so much for coming on with us. How are you this morning? Thank you so much for having me, and I'm, I'm doing great. We have a lot of ground to cover. I've read a lot about you and I've heard some of your testimony before Congress, and congratulations to you for doing that, by the way. Um, But before we get started, I'm going to ask you, if you had to choose one or the other that makes you more upset and more concerned for women's sports, of these two things, which one is the worst of the things that you face? The competitive disadvantage that you're in with biological males invading your sport, or the privacy aspect that you lose when you are forced to be in intimate spaces of privacy and states of undress with biological males? Which is the bigger issue for you? That's actually a really great question that no one's ever asked me before. I think initially at the beginning, it was the competitive aspect that bothered me the most. But now that I'm a 23-year-old adult, and I see what's happening to young girls, and I know what it's like to be a young teenager, I do think the privacy aspect is worse. And especially since now, this is expanded into prisons. This is expanded into violent shelters. So, for example, if you're um, a victim of, of, of domestic violence and you seek a shelter, and you go to a women's-only shelter, the person who attacked you, who's male, can come into that shelter and say, well, I identify as a woman, and they have to take them in. Um. The thing in terms of societal breakdown, I think the privacy issue is is a bigger bigger deal. But initially, at the beginning, I was more concerned about the competition and the fairness. I appreciate that fair and honest answer, uh, and I can understand why. 
Paula, let's start at the beginning. Um, when you found out that there was a biological male who was quote unquote transitioning to female and who was going to be swimming with you on the on the on the women's team, what was yours and your teammates' first reactions? I mean, did you go into it with an open mind, or did you just think to yourself right off the rip, "That's crazy. What's this all about?" How did you how did you approach it when it started? Yeah. So we first heard that this was going to happen in. Fall of 2019, September of 2019, so four, what's the year 2023 now, four years ago, we found out that this, this was going to happen. And I was shocked. I knew it was immediately unfair, but I looked around the room to my teammates and nobody seemed to have the same reaction I did. Um, but again, I, you know, you keep a straight face. You don't want to come off as being a, a harmful person or a hateful person. And that's when I first found this out. And I did not think that it was real. I felt like I was in shock. There was a lot of girls who were very big on accepting. They were very open. I don't think they really understood what it would mean because, again, at that moment when the announcement was made, Will, at the time still Will, was not going to be coming into our locker room immediately, was not going to be competing on our team immediately. There was still a year that they had to go through to do the hormone suppression and whatever those treatments are. Right. Um, so it was it was a weird situation where we found out, but it wasn't going to be a reality yet. So I think a lot of people have a harder time grasping it until it is real. And I talked to a lot of people that weren't part of the swim team, people that went to Penn, my friends, my, um, you know, classmates and my family and people. And, and a lot of people just said, this is not going to happen. This person thinks that they they want to transition, but somebody's going to step in. The university will tell them no. The NCAA will change their policy. The Ivy League will change their policy. Nobody thought that it was going to happen. So a lot of people just sat there. And the best way to explain it is it was a slow-moving train wreck. I knew for two years that this was going to happen. I tried to talk to people. I tried to reach out to people. I said, what can we do? And everyone just said, it'll figure itself out. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And, of course, two years later when it became a reality, it was the worst possible scenario because Leah went on to win an NCAA championship. And – Keep in mind, not a single female from the University of Pennsylvania has ever won an event at the NCAA championship, ever. And technically, that's still the case. No woman has ever won an NCAA championship at the as a swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania because he is not a woman. And uh, I don't want to get into the you know into you know, the pejoratives of all of that, but I, but I do want to go a little deeper into what you just said. So. At the beginning, you said there were a lot of girls on your team who were open and accepting of it and supportive and wanting to be nice and so forth, uh, and then also thinking that maybe, as you pointed out, that maybe this will work itself out, and he's not actually going to come and swim with us and not going to be in our locker room and changing with us, et cetera. But then it did happen. And and when it came to the realization, as you call it, of a slow-moving train wreck, and here he is, he's in the locker room, there he is, changing, there he is, beating everybody on the team by, by lengths of the pool in practice sessions and in times, what did your teammates think then? Those that were initially openly accepting of the idea, did they keep that point of view? A lot of people would express their opinions in one-on-one conversations. And again, there were girls who were more concerned about the locker room and less concerned about the fairness. There were girls that were more concerned about the fairness and couldn't give a crap about the locker room part. Um, so it was, it was definitely an array of emotions. But the one thing was, is that it was one of those unspoken rules, right? You could go and have a private one-on-one conversation with a teammate during a meet, for example. And then 
you know, we go and watch the meet and Leah's swimming and then that same teammate is cheering for Leah when they, when they beat all the other girls from all the other teams. Um, so it's, it was definitely one of those things where it was unspoken. The people who objected to it were quiet and there were definitely people that objected to it that didn't even ever express that opinion because they were afraid of being labeled as hateful or against the LGBT people or whatever names that they call you. Because as a college student, and most universities are are very liberal, you need to agree with all liberal statements. And if you even disagree on one aspect, your your name called, um, all your friends and peers don't like you anymore, you're an outcast. You, uh, you're a bigot and you're a transphobe and they, and they call you names and they make you feel isolated and they make you feel alone. They're doing that right now uh, to Riley Gaines, who has become the face of this uh, push for you know, female um, uh, sports being uh, uninterrupted and, and invaded by, by biological males. Um, are you facing some of the same things, Paula Scanlon? Are you, are you getting called those names now, or is there an attempt to cancel and ostracize you in your post-collegiate career? Um, I get, you know, a load of comments that are calling me horrible names for people who wish ill upon me for my opinions. And actually, this happened to me during college. I was one of the people that I, I, I don't lie just to make other people feel good. And if people on my team confronted me about it, I was very honest that I thought the situation was incredibly unfair. I told everyone at the university inside the swim team, outside the swim team, my opinions on the situation. And I had my own teammates, some of them, tell me that I was a horrible person and I was contributing to violence against a marginalized group. And I just said, I'm sorry, but that's, this is the way I feel. And you invalidating my feelings and my opinions is, is not productive. And I said, it's okay if we disagree, but why can't we have a conversation about it? And then they immediately would just not want to talk. They, no one wanted to have a conversation. Nobody wanted to you know, speak to anyone that was different than them. Um, and and that, was, that was something that was very, very challenging for me. And I still deal with it. And Riley and I are very close friends, and we, we help each other get through it, and we bond about all that stuff. Um, and it, and it, honestly, it doesn't bother me. It used to bother me more, but I know that I'm on the right side of history on this thing. I know that I'm doing the right thing. I know that I'm helping other young women and girls. And if I get some hate, and that's just part of what it's like to fight for something that actually matters. We are talking with Paula Scan- Scanlon. If you just turned us on, she is a former collegiate swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania, which makes her a former teammate of Will Thomas, who changed his name to Leah Thomas and um, started a, a lot of trouble, quite frankly, um, in the women's swimming world and, quite frankly, in the world of women's sports in general. Paula is fighting very hard, along with Riley and many others, for the right for women to be able to participate in their sports without male uh, uh, intervention. Uh, biological males coming in, whether they call themselves transitioning or not, uh, that this should not happen. So, Paula, at the end of every season I've ever been a part of, uh, when when the last practice is held or the last event is held or the last game is held or whatever, there are a lot of hugs in the locker rooms and you know congratulating each other and you know a lot of tears flow. Uh, and that's and that's in football locker rooms, by the way. I, <laughs> that's that's what I did. So I'm I'm sure it's the same way in women's sports. When the season ended and it was time to part ways with uh, one another, how did that go with respect to Leah slash Will? Honestly, I 
did not really participate in any of the postseason anything. Um, and this is this is evident from the fact that, you know, so you're a graduating senior and you want to go after your season's over. And I assume you do this in every sport. you got to go clean out your locker, right? right? You need to get your things out. I didn't do that. Uh, our, our last meet was on the road. I left a half-eaten granola bar in my locker. And I said, when, when we finish the season, I'm going to come back and I'm going to go get that. And I'm going to clean my locker up. I didn't do that. And I didn't actually go and get the items from my locker until after I graduated in May. And the season ends in March. Is it so, specifically because of what I just described and you did not want to have that, that, um, that closing confrontation or, or face-to-face with, with Leah or, or your teammates? Yeah, and frankly, I was just ready to be done. Um, I think the season turned into more of a, a headache than a rewarding thing. And, of course, I, I cried after the last race that I competed, and, and it was very emotional, and I cried the whole way home on the bus and all of that. Um, and that aspect is always there, and it always will be. But in terms of going and thinking about seeing teammates and going into the locker room again, it was I always said, you know, I'm done competing. There is no reason for me to ever go back there. So I didn't. I left every single thing in my locker. I went in with a trash bag and lugged it over my shoulder and, and left and, and moved out of Philadelphia forever. It was it was very weird, and I think most of their seniors probably went to clean out their lockers at an earlier point. But I just had no interest. I wanted to be done. I wanted to be removed from it. But I also knew, okay, eventually in May, I said, okay, well, there's a lot of things I have in that locker that I should probably go get. <laughs> So in the aftermath of all of this now, and you're obviously a very activist person uh, along with Riley and others, um, do you have any communication at all with your former teammates? And do you have any of them that even if they won't join you publicly because they don't want to start taking the same attacks that you take by saying anything publicly, do you have a relationship with any of them that are private in which they say, you're right, I just can't do what you're doing? Yep. Three girls only have reached out to me, and and they were three girls that I was, always close with in regards to this issue i always knew i can count on them two of them um are very close friends that i i went to church with every week on campus um we're all catholic so i always had a relationship with those two girls and then one of the other ones was one of the girls who was very upset about leah swimming no one else has reached out to me so it is only three teammates i'm hoping one day they do eventually speak up I know that they're considering it. I know that they're thinking about what it looks like for their life, what it means for their jobs, what it means for their family, what it means just to to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and and tell that story. Um, But it's definitely challenging. I mean, I, I honestly thought maybe nobody would reach out to me and everyone would disagree with what I was doing. But having even three of my teammates support me and I'm still in contact with them pretty regularly has been has been definitely really helpful and helps me continue to, to fight for, for what I am fighting for. Paula, I want to, I want to backtrack a little um, because the first question I asked you was, which was the most concerning to you, the competitive aspect or the privacy aspect. And you said originally the competitive, but I want to go to the privacy part. Now you and a locker room full of women take your showers, wrap up in towels, come out, change back into your clothes, and it's a pretty, you know, pretty normal experience the way it's always been. What was it like the first time he was there um, doing the same thing, but of course with biological, anatomically male, anatomically male body doing this? What was this like for you? And even. You know, were any of those that were originally supportive of the idea because they're they're liberal and they're inclusive and so forth? Was there 
Was there an air of discomfort among everyone there, or how did that go? Yeah, it was definitely, you could tell that everyone was more uncomfortable. I mean, generally speaking, again, I don't try to look at anyone when they're changing, but girls are, are changing more publicly without towels. People just kind of, you know, stand there and put on their clothes, take off their clothes. I noticed a lot more girls were changing underneath a towel. Um, myself was one of them. I was much more protective of myself while changing, even subconsciously. It's not something I consciously even decided to do. It's, it's just in the back of your head that you need to cover up. Yeah. Um, and I noticed that a lot of my teammates were doing that more often. And one of the teammates and one of those three girls I mentioned who I'm in contact with, she got the locker next to Leah. And she changed outside in the family locker room for half the season, and then the other half of the season, she changed in the bathroom stall. Now, this can't be okay with your coaches. This, this can't be okay with the athletic director or with anybody else that's a part of this whole thing. There had to have been something they could do because of the discomfort, no matter whether how inclusive or how welcoming they were, there had to be something they could do for you. What did they do? Did, did anybody go to them and say, this can't continue, and what was, what was their response? A lot of, so our coaches in particular said that their hands were really tied. That was the best way to explain how their response. And, and most people said, look, this is the NCAA's policy. We have to allow it to happen. That was the biggest thing I noticed in this entire situation is that everybody was punting the problem, right? Our coach said, take it up with the athletic director. And then if you would go and meet with the athletic director, they would say, oh, well, the Ivy League president says that. And then you know, so on and so forth. Each person you go to would punt the issue to somebody else. And that was the biggest thing I had an issue with is that nobody wanted to take responsibility. It's like, okay, we have hundreds of girls that are very upset and very hurt by this. And, and it is hundreds. There are hundreds of girls who compete in the NCAA in swimming in D1. And all the girls at that NCAA meet that Riley went to, I did not qualify for NCAA, so I was not there. But all of those girls that I meet were affected by this. All of the girls on my team were affected by this. All of the girls in the Ivy League were affected by this. And that's that's hundreds of girls. And nobody wanted to take responsibility. Nobody wanted to step in and say, let's protect these girls. Or how are they feeling? Or maybe we should check in and, and let them know that, you know, these are maybe some options you guys have. The university told us when we raised concerns, they just said, this is a non-negotiable. This will be happening whether you fully support it or you 100% hate it. And we're here to help you be comfortable with that. And they provided us with counseling services if we objected <laughs> wow um well paula scanlon i am uh, i'm a fan uh i, I am I'm, I'm fascinated by your story and i'm inspired by your strength and your willingness to take all of the attacks and the cancellation attempts to come with what you're doing what you're doing is going to help a lot of girls going forward and i hope you continue to do that I thank you for coming on and sharing your story. I know we're going to reach out to you again to have an even longer form conversation and as big of a forum as we can possibly find because we need to shine a light on on what's really happening to girls and women in these sports. Thank you for what you're doing, and I really look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much for having me. Thank I really so appreciate it. All right, thank yep. you. That's an inspirational story, and Jen's a great, strong, young woman. And I didn't even have to be a biologist to know that she was a woman. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. It takes, um, it takes a lot of courage to do that stuff. You, you just heard what Paula Scanlon said. She, um, she has teammates 
that um, only three of them, because she said the overwhelming number of you know college students in general, much less at the Ivy Leagues, they're liberal. Left-wing institutions produce good, young, left-wing robots. But she said three of her teammates supported her and reached out to her as she has gone public and testified before Congress, as I said, about everything that is happening in women's sports, did uh, Paula Scanlon. And uh, she said all three of them who supported her told her they could only do that in private. Because they don't want to have their lives turned upside down. They don't want to be ostracized, attacked online, attacked, you know. uh, And quite frankly, if you speak out publicly about something that you believe in, through your First Amendment protected, you know, protections, um, it can cost you jobs. You under, you understand that? That's why I say it takes a lot of courage for Paula Scanlon. She is now known publicly when she applies for a job in whatever field she's going into. As a part of you know the the traditional job application procedure you fill out an application you turn in a resume you turn in letters of reference and they look and talk to those people what can they tell you about you blah 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 now they go into social media now they go into google or some other search engine and they just look you up to see what you're all about are you famous for anything you shouldn't be in other words infamous are you uh you know are you a good person i can judge that by your opinions on political matters And so if you go out there and express your opinions publicly the way she did, she's putting herself in a very precarious position because of, as I talked earlier on today with Dr. Piper, of DEI policies in corporate America, in workspaces. They embrace diversity, inclusion, and equity. And if you don't, and if you oppose it, and if you do anything like, say, women shouldn't be uh, you know, forced to compete with men, and women shouldn't be forced to change in front of men, and so forth, if you do any of the odds, not very diverse, nor inclusive, nor uh, equitable, you, you, you don't fit here. You don't get the job. You understand how dangerous it is? So when people do what she's doing, and Riley Gaines is doing, and others, they have my full most passionate respect for their courage. That's gutsy. That's what, that's what women need right now is they need women to fight for them. They need women to fight for the class of women that are, quite frankly, slowly being disappeared. That's, just the, that's the truth of the matter. She's got a great forum, and she's got a great voice, and she's got a great presentation. When I say voice, I don't mean audio quality. I mean she has got a great and powerful voice in this field, and I hope you pay more attention to people like her. Uh, Charlie is calling us from Brownhill. Charlie, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Hey. Fire away, sir. Hey, Bob. Thanks for taking the call again. Hey, uh, you were talking about the COVID shot. You were talking about Trump, too. He's my guy all the way. Although he won't be running for re-election when he governs, so who knows how he really will govern? I'm hoping, like he did the first time. It's a good question. But it's part. It's a very yeah. good question. He's not, not a lot of people he's not talk running about for, that. for re-election, so he's not really seeking the votes the way he was. Yeah, last, he's he's you know, a he's you know. a lame duck the moment he takes office because they know you know he you know he knows that nothing he does or says is going to impact getting voted on next year. Anytime there's a second term president, they become a lame duck uh, automatically, and so this would be his his second term, obviously, as you say. Yes. So who knows? Right? You know, you just hope that he'll govern the same way. But as far as the shot, you know, from the beginning, I said, well, when they come up with the real vaccine, I'll probably take it. 
because that takes like 10 years or eight years. And, you know, and I was just wondering, what, will you take it? Because uh, if it's a, it's a blind study, you know, regular, it's a piece of the, vi- the, the uh, virus that's been sterilized. That's how what a real vaccine is. And will you take that? Because I that's, and, that, will. and that's not what this is. No. That's not what this is. mRNA vaccines are not to traditional vaccines where you're right, where it's a dead virus, uh, uh, you know, an element of the dead, dead virus, cells of the dead virus that they're injecting you to help your, your immune system uh, learn how to fight that off. That's how regular vaccines work. That's not what these are. RNA vaccines are not actual vaccines, and perhaps that's why they do not inoculate you, and they claim that, well, well all a vaccine is really supposed to do is, you know, minimize your symptoms so you don't get hospitalized. That's garbage. That has never been what a vaccine was supposed to do. A vaccine yeah, it's a therapeutic, it's a treatment. The RNA exactly. is a treatment. It's not. It's not a vaccine. I. I really think they adulterated the word too. Well, they it's more than. It, but, but it's more than just a treatment, though, because what it is is it's a genetic modifier, and this is what more and more of the doctors are saying. It actually can modify your genes. It. 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 it the, the spike proteins. Not only do they not work with your immune system to strengthen your immune system so that it can resist that type of virus the way a a traditional vaccine does, it weakens your immune system. That's why what they have found over the last year and a half or so is that people who took the shots got the, you know, the first one, the second one, another booster and so forth, and then got COVID anyway, got COVID much worse and much more, they got, uh, they were much more sickly, um, because of that. Their, their immune systems have been compromised. People who are getting COVID for the first time without having shots are in much better positions to fight that off than those who have taken those spike proteins in the, um, uh, in the COVID shots in order to, uh, you know, what they thought was strengthen their immune system and have it doing the exact opposite. Right. I wasn't insinuating it's a good therapeutic, but it's not a vaccine. It's a thera- It's it's basically supposed to make it, your sickness less severe yeah, from COVID. That's, that's what well, they that, say. That's but a that's therapeutic. Just, that's but just not the reality. But are they working on a real vaccine? You would think they have to be working on the real one. It takes eight years. Well, that's been four years. Let's see where's this real vaccine. Listen, you, uh, you know, it? I would like to think that too, uh, uh, Charlie, and 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 no, I wouldn't because I do not trust the companies that are doing the research. They have lied to us about the safety and the uh, effectiveness of this drug. It is killing people, and then they have come out knowing that it is killing people, knowing that it is not effective, knowing it has had tons of vaccine injuries, you know, effects on millions of people. They are out here with another one now. They have no moral center um, that that would tell them we should probably not push these out again unless we know for a fact they're not going to hurt people. We need to go through the protocols now. And instead, here we are, this new one that is that is just just been given without any human trials whatsoever. You know the, uh, the emergency authorization again, Charlie is going to make them millions. They prof uh, or billions. They prefer profit to people. And and so well, I would yeah, never trust. The money. I would They're never trust anything that Pfizer or Moderna or any of them ever came out with again. Not in a million years would I let them get near me. I'm guaranteed if we followed the money and investigate. If Trump gets in there, I hope he investigates where the money went for Ukraine, where the money went for Pfizer. I'd like to know because everybody's stuffing their pockets. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.